Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 18. Sustainable 18, the last episode of season one of Sustainable. We have made it to the end of our first season. Welcome to our little green podcast, all about the environment and why everything is so confusing and can't people just speak clearly. Um, we work for environmental charities, but this is very much our own beast, so do let only us know if you've got an issue with this and don't take it up with anyone else. What we got coming up this week, Oh, Well, we have got a bit of a treat this week because you may or may not know that Eurovision Ooh. is on the horizon. We oh. had a sneak preview last week, but this week we are delving into it. But really, it's an excuse to talk about the eco-protest song. Are there any good ones? Uh, if not, why not? And we've got a very special guest who's going to help us along with that, our mate Adam, or to use his... Alter ego Diego Brown, who is a very, very talented singer-songwriter, poet, and all-round good bloke, and he's going to talk us through some of the eco songs that are out there. We have also got uh, a lovely little, not unrelated, Inhoff of the week, and we have got, well, we've got, put frankly, Boris Johnson and the Dodo. So, um, shall we crack on? So, Sustainable of the Week. Every week, regular listeners will know that we have a look at what is now known as the egregious eco-guff. The nonsense spoken in the name of going green, and we um, we call it what it is. Rubbish. Sustainable. And what have we got this week, or rather who? We have got some whiff-waff piffle. We have got <laughs> the world's most renowned gobflapper. We have got the <laughs> architect of extreme tittery. We have got Boris Johnson, the mayor of London. You know who he is? I, well, I do. I do. He's the man who dangles around on um, zip wires, the man who insults uh, entire nations, races, and usually Portsmouth and Liverpool. Uh, he's he's all-round self-publicist and um, the future leader of the Conservative Party, by all accounts. Yeah, and he was asked this week, he's actually uh, has been known in the past for saying some quite green things, believe it or not. Um, and he was asked this week whether or not this would be this new Conservative government, which he is now part of, whether it would be the greenest government ever, like the last Conservative government, last coalition government said it was going to be. And he said it certainly will. And then he said a couple of things that don't actually fit together very well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So we started off with a surprisingly, um, yeah, surprisingly good hippie eco statement, which said, I passionately believe, shall I do it in a Boris accent? I, I, I passionately believe in clean green technology to reduce bills and you know, reduce pollution. And uh, That's what you sound like when you're on the phone to your mum. <laughs> No, that's just a stream of apologies <laughs> to my mum. So, yes, no, I'm sorry. I, no, I know. I know, again. Yes. Right, Boris Johnson said, I passionately believe in clean green technology to reduce bills and reduce pollution and look at what we're achieving. Mm-hmm. And he pointed and, to loads of stuff going on in London and said, look what we're achieving, didn't he? 
Yeah, but you know that's a that's a good good opening statement, isn't it, from a politician? Good yeah. thing to say. Problem is, he followed it up with this. I'm pro fracking. I've made it clear. I think it can be done in a way that minimizes destruction, and we would be crazy not to extract those fuels. Oh God, what is it with why? What's going on? Oh, you know about fracking. Go back to episode two, frack, frack, frack. We talked about this a lot. But why is it that that people think fracking is green? They Do don't. Th- well, they what? don't. They just want it to be green. Oh, it's, it isn't. It's total. It's it's total wiffle waffle tish tosh piddle puddle. To use phrases that he probably hasn't thought of yet. It's it's just cognitive dissonance, isn't it? It's believing two things which don't make sense side by side simultaneously. It's it's just that you, you, if you're pro-fracking, you're pro-fracking, but you realise that it's not really acceptable to say, I don't care about the environment. So you say, I care about the environment. And then you toddle along doing whatever you do in, in London or whatever. We're going to, um, as, as you'll see later on, when we get to Inhoff Corner, uh, this theme is going to come up again of people who say nice things about the environment and then talk about how great it is to get fossil fuels out of the ground and don't see that they have their head wedged really, really far up their bottoms. <laughs> so, it's Eurovision. After all of the horrific horrors that was the election and everyone getting very excited about something that turned out to go really weird, how about something that is always really weird? It's Eurovision. I love Eurovision, and it's Eurovision (laughs) this coming Saturday. You love Eurovision, don't you, Ol? I do, I do. As I said last week, a nice little camp, a couple of hours of uh, BBC commentators getting increasingly drunk and offensive while strange people do strange things on stage is exactly what we need. Uh, and I'm very excited, very excited. Oh, pleased to hear it. So because it's Eurovision, we have got a guest um, and we are joined uh, by Adam. Conchita Verst. <laughs> no. Are you Conchita Verst, Adam? No, I'm Adam, He's a.k.a. Adam. Diego Brown. Yeah, musician, friend of the stars, uh, raconteur, writer, and also writes for an environmental charity. And just like us, what you're about to hear is very much his own views, in it? Uh, mostly my own views, some that I nick from other people. Yeah. And we're using uh, Eurovision as a... Hello, Adam, thanks for coming on. That's all right, thank you for having me. Uh, quite welcome. We're using Eurovision as an excuse for us to do a feature that we have uh, wanted to do for a while, which is about eco-protest songs, or green protest songs, or basically green songs in general. And why are the very few that anyone can think of a bag of, of kitten poo and all rubbish? And could we not? could we not do better and is there something about the environment that just doesn't make it amenable to writing songs about so we're going to talk about that aren't we adam we are so where have all the green protest songs gone yeah pretty much (laughs) but before any of that eurovision do you like eurovision adam well normally if you ask me about eurovision um whether whether we should have an in-out referendum on it i'd come across all snarling and thin-skinned on you but this year given that you've asked me this question about uh, about Eurovision in the context of protest, I think it's quite interesting. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, and I had a look over, over uh, past winners of Eurovision. And if you go into Eurovision expecting it to be about eco-protest songs, you'd be surprised how much you can actually find in there. So 
Let's go all the way back to 1970, probably a little before you guys were born. Dana, all kinds of everything. Obviously, a hymn to biodiversity and the resilience that resides therein. 1971, um, one by Monaco, Un Bonk, uh, as in French, Pardon? Un Bonk. A bank, just the one. No, a bench. A bench. Uh, <laughs> an arbre, this is the title of the song I'm giving here. Un Bonk, un arbre, une rue. Yeah, a bench, a tree, a street. Obviously, um, which was sung by Severine, obviously about 106 planning gain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't work out whether they were taking more acid to come up with that song or you're taking more to come up with that interpretation, but carry on. Yeah. Well, in 1971, I think acid had had its day, hadn't it? 1984, <laughs> we, we have to skip a few years. To, no, 1977 was the next thing. Um, the winner in 1977 was France. Um, uh, this is incontrovertibly um, uh, an environmental song. Um, it also sounds like something Eric Cantona might have written. Um, and it goes, it was sung by Marie Miriam, who won it that year, 1977. Dark are the misery, the men and the war that believe they hold the time's reins. The country of love doesn't have a border for the ones with the child's heart. So moving on to this year, uh, the entries for this year. So the Netherlands come up with a song called Walk Along, which is clearly about modal shifts in transport. Obviously. Unless yeah. it, <laughs> eh? Obviously. Unless it's a misspelling of Never Walk Alone. Um, Greece come up with One Last Breath. Um does this describe air pollution or their fiscal position? I don't know because I haven't looked at the lyrics yet and <laughs> the competition's yet to happen. Estonia. That'd be, that'd be about love. They're all about love. All these songs are about love. Well, you, actually, there's a, there's a corker coming up. Right. Um, let me tell you about a few others. Portugal, there's a sea between us. Sea level rise. Azerbaijan, <laughs> Hour of the Wolf. Oh, Rewilding. Yeah. Rewilding. I, I, already, I already cannot wait to hear that. I, I know what that song's going to sound like. <laughs> Do you think it'll have electric guitars turned up really loud? Yeah. And bloke in leathers. Um, yeah. Switzerland, Time to Shine, Solar Power. Mm-hmm. Cyprus, very enigmatic, One Last Thing I Should Have Done. Oh, uh, put your recycling up. Anyway, the, the most interesting thing from the point of view of this conversation comes from Hungary um, by a band who I think, because this is what it says on the website, are called Boggy. Boggy. <laughs> yeah. And their song is called Wars for Nothing. Oh. And now it says, it says Wars for Nothing with no apostrophe between the R and the S of wars. So whether it means we can sell you wars for nothing or... <laughs> <laughs> War is for nothing, but we can't get the punctuation right. I'm not quite sure. But when you actually listen to the song, I have to admit, I was strangely moved by it. Ooh. And not in an ironic way. It's okay to ignore
So Damon Albarn off of Blur and Opera and uh, Mooching About with Monkeys, he said a uh, couple of weeks ago, you know, alongside the publication of his uh, of his new album, he said uh, that basically all music has gone rubbish, and that since the eighties, <laughs> apart uh, from my new album, apart from my new album, buy obviously, please buy it, please, please. <laughs> he says that completely and utterly, uh, music, pop music, has lost any political significance. It's bereft of it. He says it's a shame because the three minute pop song used to be a great way to express discontent, but we have allowed pop music to become dumb. And you have to look into the margins for a lot of the interesting stuff. So, uh, do you think that's right? Do you think, in general, Adam, that there is no protest, sort of angry music in general at the moment? Uh, and if if so, why, why is that? And what does that mean about eco protest songs? Um, I think if you want a really good answer to this, um, you'd probably need to read Dorian Linsky's fantastic book called Thirty Three Revolutions Per Minute which is a history of the protest songs published by Faber in 2010. Now, I've read bits of it, and uh, it's very good. Um, And what he does is he puts a protest song in its social and cultural context, and he looks at it um, over over a historical period. Uh, In a nutshell, he, he basically agrees with Damon Albarn. He says that the protest song per se has kind of fizzled out, and he says it's because of two things, really. One is that um, repeatedly the kind of aesthetics of protest keeps getting co-opted by um, big corporations and by brands. What does that mean, Adam? Uh, well, it means that you get um, a hip-hop artist sponsored by a trainer company. Oh, uh, right. Um, yeah. Or you get fashion trends picking up on the counterculture style very quickly. And, it, um, uh, and the effect of all this is to kind of render the, the protest itself rather inert and the kind of forms of expression inert. Hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. You know, what, what political statement are we making or what are we achieving politically when we wear a Che Guevara T-shirt? <coughs> the second thing that Linsky says, Dorian Linsky says, um, it, it, he refers to this thing, it, what he describes as the fragmentation of culture. And I suppose he's talking about this is in an age when everybody can publish their own songs or their own podcasts. Yeah. So you don't have um, you don't have to sell very many records to get to number one these days, um, and no one cares about number one anyway. So it's quite interesting that Damon Albarn says you can find protest in the margins, or you have to look in the margins, not the mainstream, um, because it begs the question of what. You know, is there a mainstream? What 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 is he talking about? What is pop music when everybody can publish their own songs, and you can get listened to by two hundred thousand people on YouTube without entering what you might think of as the mainstream? Um, maybe it's always been that way. Maybe uh, at the time, protest has always been a marginal form. Um, and I guess the other thing to say is that maybe the more left wing the government and the general mood of the day. The less the less protest songs you get, which might uh, right. might mean we're heading for something a little more interesting in the coming years and months. Dorian Linsky again gives uh, a really good example of what he means by the sort of um, uh, kind of castration of of protest. Um, you probably don't remember Rage Against the Machines killing in the name. Yeah, that's something you do. Okay, from 1991. Well, in 2009, it was used in a campaign 
But that campaign was to keep Simon Cowell's X Factor song off the number one Christmas slot. So, yes. you know, the ultimate entertainmentification of rock and roll protest, I suppose that is. Mm. Um, interestingly, in 2012, Tom Morello himself uh, from uh, Rage Against the Machine criticised none other than the UK Independence Party for using the song Killing in the Name. Did you know that? They were, using know. It, they were using it at their rallies and meetings. And oh my God. He tweeted, Morello tweeted and says, stop using Killing in the Name for your racist right-wing rallies. We are against everything you stand for. Stop it, in capital letters. Fantastic oh. stuff. So... That's quite meta, isn't it? There's a lot of there's a lot of meta in there. A protest song being used by a party that considers themselves a protest party, being protested against by the people who wrote the protest song in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so another another good example uh, Dorian Linsky gives um, to illustrate what's happened to to political music um, in recent decades is. Um, it's a scene from Simpsons the movie uh, in 2007 where Green Day are playing a gig in Springfield and Billy <laughs> J. Armstrong, the lead singer, stops and says to the adoring crowd, we've been playing for two and a half hours and just want to take a couple of minutes of your time to say something about the environment. <laughs> and there is a pregnant pause and then a barrage of rubbish hurled at him <laughs> with cries of preaching, preaching. Um, go and see it. It's a, you can see that little clip on YouTube. Although I only found the clip in German. Perfect. You asked around, didn't you? I saw you on Twitter asking people for examples, and I saw you sort of with increasing desperation um, asking anyone if they had anything that fits under the banner of green of green protest songs. And I imagine everyone said um, said Earth Song by Michael Jackson, did they? Pretty much. What else did you get? Not everybody said Earth Song by Michael Jackson. Quite a lot of people, for quite a lot of people, that was their very first thought. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a green protest song, no doubt about it. Do you remember Olivia Newton John? Mm. Mm. In 1994, um, she of um, Greece fame and Xanadu fame um, produced an album called uh, Gaia. Did you know that? Ooh. No, this sounds awful. It sounds worse if you actually listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to have a bit of it. We've got to have a bit of it. Respect me, respect me. I need you to Oh my lord, that is that's something else, isn't it? That is something else. Well I wish we could just 80s. stop the podcast now and play the rest of that. So, is there something about the environment that makes it very difficult to write credible songs? Why aren't there why aren't there more good ones out there? Um, what do you reckon? You've looked into this a bit. I think the premise of the question is wrong. I think there are plenty of good songs out there about the environment or that have the environment in there as a, as a theme. Um, the environment has featured in popular song and not very popular song for forever, really. So way back in the, you know, the, the depths of time, a walk along a country lane is the backdrop to many a saucy ballad from medieval times and later. 
um, songs of Stop it. social <laughs> social complaint um, in the 17th and 18th century. And often these are about enclosures. These are about people being driven off their lands. Yeah, there's a uh-huh. modern equivalent in land grabbing and fracking. Um, and then moving on to the Industrial Revolution, you get songs of complaint about working conditions in factories from the earliest days of the Industrial Re- Re- Revolution. These are numerous and many and quite good. You get songs of complaint about the price of bread, about general living conditions and being, you know, things just being a bit rubbish, really. So you might say that the earliest eco-protest songs are about land being taken away from people, which is admittedly actually a bit different from banging on about climate change and stuff. Shall I move on to talk about some of the some of the decent stuff from more recent years? Please do. So, as you say, I asked around a lot, and so some of the songs that I'm going to mention now have come from all over the place, and I would like to, to name-check a few people at this point, if that's okay. So apart from Dorian Linsky's uh, book, 33 Revolutions Per Minute, Roy Palmer um, wrote a book in 1988 about uh, songs of social comment, our friend James Debray gave me a list of things, uh, a list of songs that he's been collecting that are about the environment. Jamie Dixon, another old friend, Lucy Pierce, Guy Haslam, an old friend, Steve Kane, Gary Horseman, and Alice Bell via Twitter sent us a list of 277 songs wow. that are about, the, uh, about climate change. There are songs about car culture. I bet you can uh, tell me some songs about car culture. Oh, that one about bulldozing paradise and putting up a parking lot. I hate that one. I hate it. Joni Mitchell. I hate it. Okay. (laughs) Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? It gave paradise, put up a parking lot. Do you like Talking Heads Nothing But Flowers? Yes. Do you not think that's a riposte? It never occurred to me. Yeah. There was a shopping mall. Now it's all covered with flowers. You've got it. You've got it. If this is paradise, I wish I had a lawnmower. Paradise. I wish I had a lawnmower. But it never occurred to me before. See, I knew Talking Heads were amazing, and that's why. Ollie, I think you're going to get excited at this bit. Neil Young is on my list. Oh, good, good. Go now, on, hit me. The thing is, did you know that Neil Young has a new album coming out called The Monsanto Years? That can't be true. It is true. Is it really true? Yeah, it's imminent. It may even be out right now. But clearly, with a title like that, it's about relationships. <laughs> about feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, it's a critique of the food industry, apparently. But also, it's got stuff about there on tar sands. My, my friend Guy let me in on this but actually there's stuff on the interweb about it as well do you know a piece of crap no by Neil Young no. this is really good this is really good this is just Neil Young rocking out um, and you've got to hear a bit of this What's that called? Piece of crap. Yeah, lovely. What's it about? It's about um, it's about being him trying to save the trees and having a mobile phone that doesn't work because it is a piece of crap and the piece <laughs> of crap is made out of trashing 
things around him. That's great. So I think Neil Young can basically do what he likes. He did um, one of his more uh, album, I think, last year. I think had a great big uh, elbow style orchestral song all about saving the planet and about. Um, and it was just about on the right side. Just about got away with it. Even someone like Neil Young can only just about get away with songs about trees. I think there's something about it that is inherently naff and I'm not I'm not persuaded still even after all of this I'm not persuaded that you can write a song that's about how great trees and bees are without it being naff I think you have to bring in social struggle but then again that's what the a lot of environmental stuff is eh? Uh, protest songs generally need to be written by and sung by or performed by the oppressed versus the oppressor uh, the downtrodden versus the downtreader. So as we enter a period of probably greater political polarisation, in, in the UK at least, over the next few years, maybe we can expect to see a flowering of protest songs. Whether that's about the environment or not remains to be seen. On my list would be uh, a Tom York song, a Radiohead song. I think it's a choice between No Surprises and mm. Idiotech. A lot of people mention Idiotech in this, in this, in the category of it. it's a kind of environmental protest song. You know, there's a, there are lines in there. Um, we're not scaremongering. This is really happening. Happening. Mobiles working. Mobiles chirping. Take the money and run. It's coming. It's coming. The ice age is coming. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's is a man who's scared about what's going to happen. Mm. He's, he hasn't. He's not offering any answers in that song. But he's he's basically saying, "Wake up!" Without saying wake up isn't it in my top 10 Dave I know know you you only wanted 5 but I've got 10 actually I've got 12 (laughs) in at number 8 Tower of Power only so much oil in the ground do you know this I don't know that, but it's a cracking song. It's cracking, mate. <laughs> the only trouble is, it's really about peak oil and not mm. climate change. There's only so much oil in the ground. Sooner or you've got to play a bit of this. It's just so good to listen to that you can forgive it any slight misreading of the environmental crisis for being about peak oil I think I I love the line alternative sources of power must be found because there's only so much oil in the ground oh clunk it's beautiful (laughs) but bad that's great I I love that I could listen to that over and over again thank you to James DeBray for sending me that one I'd like to put on my list a song by the People's Poet Laureate, Mr. John Hegley. Oh, yeah, your chum. Called the Guillemot. I am a Guillemot, I use my bill a lot. I get the fish out of the wet, I eat my fill a lot. I live on ledges, vertical edges. And the bit I particularly uh, would draw your attention to is I'm a Guillemot. I find the fishes tend to lose one nil a lot. But, but I take only what I need. I'm not a greedy bird. I'm sustainable, self-restrainable. 
Listen, humans, very soon you will a lot. Did you know that I can go so... Should we talk about what our red lines are with protest songs, good and bad? <laughs> yeah, go on then. Okay, so for me, uh, red lines are anything that mentions Mother Earth. R- uh, and yeah. By, yeah. by red line, you, you cannot have a song ah, right. in my house if it mentions Mother Earth. <laughs> or gets Earth to rhyme with worth. <laughs> and you may or may not be surprised at how many um, eco-protest songs do use that rhyme. Birth. Oh, there must be a lot of rhyme in Earth with birth as well. There, there probably are. Yeah. Or mentions the children. Oh, the mm. children in the abstract, or the mm. children playing, <laughs> or says what have we done? That's Michael Jackson out there, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you're just reading <laughs> off his lyrics here. Adam, thank you very much for joining us on Sustainable to talk about protest songs. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Are you going to write a blog or something about all of this? I might well do, but it, yeah, it'd probably be bloated and inauthentic. <laughs> very good. Perfect. <laughs> That's why we got you on Sustainable in the first place. So Adam, you, you tweet at Adam in Hackney, is that right? Or Diego Brown. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Right, so Inhoff of the Week. This is the part of the podcast where we look at the biggest complete and utter nasty toe rag who has annoyed us this week. It's named after uh, Senator Jim Inhoff off of the American Senate who thinks that because snow still exists, climate change is made up. Um, and we are going to seamlessly link from our Eurovision section to looking at Australia. And the reason that there is a seamless link is for some extraordinary, outrageous, impossible-to-fathom reason. Australia is in this year's Eurovision Song Contest, which is bonkers. But you know, over there, they get up up in Australia at five in the morning and they watch this incredibly weird song competition being broadcast in foreign languages on the other side of the world and they have a national vote on it, like we do, (laughs) but theirs doesn't count, right? And so after, like, 20 years of doing in that the organizers have, have decided to let them have a go for yeah. once right which i think is equivalent to finally letting the bloke who's been sitting outside your house in the rain getting really really wet for the last fortnight finally letting him in to come and dry off on your sofa well yeah <laughs> a point well made Thanks. i don't think it's that unfathomable i think it's a very clear commercial opportunity for all of the broadcasters so. that for some for some bizarre reason this is a, a huge thing in in Australia, um, but but yeah, there's also those those famous European countries, Israel and Armenia, um, have been part of it for years, and and apparently there's some deeply earnest article in the Metro that explains all this uh, that it's it's all about who's members of the European Broadcasting Union, not who's members of of any other bit of Europe. So Yerp, sorry, episode yep. seventeen fans, Yerp. Yep. So um, why are we talking about Australia in Inhoff Corner? The reason being that we are bringing in, I think, I think this is right, for the first time, Prime Minister of Australia and all round tit. Tony Abbott, who is finally getting his day in the sun. I can't remember. I know he was in one of our pilots. I can't remember if he actually made it so far into Inhofe. Extraordinarily, he has not made it into Inhofe Corner, despite arguably being the big... We were going to call it Abbott of the Week at one stage, put it that way. Yeah, we were. We were. And we still might. We still might. This is the guy who insists that digging up coal, which is the black stuff that is 
destroying the climate is quote good for humanity uh, and he says let's just, that let's just say that one more time good digging up and burning coal is good for humanity yes in may last uh, last year he told a minerals industry parliamentary dinner that he could think of quote few things more damaging to our future than not digging up coal this is how much he loves coal, right? He's also, it and, and as a beggar's belief, I know, he's also, you know, sometimes pretends to say stuff about climate change being important. Basically, he's a massive, massive inhoff, right? And what he's done this week, um, and it's not just him, but it's his government, and so I blame him, is he's been exposed uh, with all of his ministers going around to loads of different countries in the world and asking them to oppose uh, the listing of the Great Barrier Reef as being in danger by the UN. Um, which uh, which it is because it's declined, uh, something like its biodiversity has declined by 50% over the last 20 years. Uh, it's in a right old state. Uh, and the reason that they don't want the Barrier Reef to be listed as in danger is because once you do that, you can't, e.g. build massive coal mines on top of it <laughs> or build colossal ports to get massive ships, 10,000 a year, to take the coal around the world. Um, and so you won't be able to be good for humanity, which is what he thinks coal is and so they're, they're and, and you know they're actively lobbying other governments to oppose listing possibly the single most beautiful thing in the entire world um, as being in danger, which it is. It's hard not. I mean, yeah, this podcast is about looking at the lighter side of all the nonsense that's out there, right? And and not getting too in theory down in the in the mouth about it. But my God. What chance have we got when the most powerful people in countries are choosing to do things as irresponsible and inhoffy as that? Go go to Inhoff Corner, Tony Abbott. Take your pants off and be spanked roundly in the bottom. Reasons to be cheerful. So, reasons to be cheerful. There's a lot of gloom in the world, as we have demonstrated, but each week we have a little look at the good stuff going on, the reasons that it might all be okay. And very surprising news this week, Dave. Extremely surprising news. The dodo is not dead. That's right, everyone. You heard it here first. The most famous extinct animal is not extinct. At least if you ask a quarter of the UK population, you that's are. what they think. According to research, <laughs> according to research this week by uh, commissioned by WWF, our friends, the uh, formerly World Wildlife Fund, nearly one in five Britons um, believe the Frisian cow is under threat, and um, a quarter think the dodo isn't dead. Oh, <laughs> hell back in episode three episode fans we had uh, a whole podcast looking at what people believe and why people believe stuff that isn't true so go back and listen to that for me getting incredibly cross i think we both got incredibly cross about what idiots people can be how is it possible that people think that how's it possible how's it possible more adults it says here in the poll could name zayn malik as the band member to recently leave one direction than could name the amazon as the world's largest forest why don't people know this stuff what's going on it's our fault, isn't it? It is our fault. We're just not reaching people enough. We're not breeding enough robots. We need to make more robots. I think it's time we said what everyone knows, that people are idiots and me and you should be in charge. 
Great. Although I have actually got an actual reason to be cheerful, given that's what we were supposed to be doing, rather than just oh, yeah. deciding that everyone <laughs> in the world is a cretin, right? The, and this is that it's thirty years. I think almost precisely since. The paper was written by a bunch of British academics that said there's a hole in the ozone layer and we're causing it and it's CFCs and if you want it, and that would be a bad thing to have a hole in the ozone layer and we can stop it and that would amazingly I remember this is how old and crusty I now am I remember that I remember the hoo ha about it and it was only eighteen months after that which if you think just think about that in practical terms only eighteen months later the Montreal Protocol which was a big international treaty was signed which banned. CFCs in aerosols and refrigerants and things like that. That's how quickly the world got its act together on CFCs, right? So the reason I think it's a reason to be cheerful is that it shows that actually, you know, it's still always held up as, look, we've done it before. The world has come together for a massive environmental threat and done something about it, right? Um, there is, of course, a bit of a dark side. There's a reason not to be cheerful, which is that was 30 years ago and we haven't remotely managed to do anything on that scale since. Yeah, it is It is amazing. And again, a bit like you, I'm slightly less crusty than you, although not much. But I remember growing up at school and it being the thing that people talked about in this in this region, the ozone layer, the big hole, and we bloody fixed it pretty much. It's, it's, it's not there yet, but... Um, uh, well, actually, point of order, we, what has happened to it is it is ever so slightly a smaller hole than it was. So mm. we, uh, And there is still, actually, there's a good, great uh, Costing the Earth, a, uh, another radio show, inferior to ours in every single way, but they, mm. they had a good uh, episode Especially listenership. about it. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Far more people listen to us than them. Listen to it anyway, it's very good. But they said there's a black market in CFCs, so actually we are still no, using it. really? Yeah, and also uh, all that we've done is we stopped it really getting much worse. So that's kind of what success looks like. Wow, Okay. Well, <laughs> that's slightly old is what I was going to say. Uh, but it, climate change is a bit more complicated. That's that's the problem. And um, also, our mate at Greenpeace, I think, were uh, did an amazing amount of work when this all kicked off by demonstrating that you could make fridges and stuff with alternative um, chemicals, showing that alternatives worked and creating a sort of new green industry for them. And therefore, businesses were like, all right, fine, we'll just sell this instead. No one sort of lost out or had the perception they were losing out. And it's kind of very neat, isn't it? You've got this one thing or two things you need to ban and get rid of. Here's a nice replacement, bish, bash, bosh. Climate change is just a bit more complicated than that. There's more than one gas. There's more. There's multiple causes of those gases being released. Uh, It's all bound up in economic growth. Alternatives are good, but not totally sufficient it's all so you know i think we've managed to out out unshare each other in in both examples we've given this week so well done us prediction time so prediction time every week uh we whack our crystal balls on the table stare lovingly and longingly into them to see what's coming up uh but we also have a little look to see how we got on the week before and uh regular listeners will know that we are spectacularly bad at doing what we're supposed to be paid to do i.e know what's going on it's 2-1 
which out of a possible um, 15 or no, possible 17 is, is really not very good. So last week, what happened, Dave? So I made a prediction that the uh, new Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change in the UK, um, who was announced on Monday of last week would be someone that would get you all very cross and somebody possibly who has appeared in Inhoff Corner. Now, I thought that, I, I didn't want to say this outright, but I was alluding to a guy called Matt Hancock, who was a minister in the last government, who was in Inhoff Corner about three or four episodes ago. Uh, but he didn't get the gig, did he? It was someone else, someone called Amber Rudd, whose mm. name is an anagram of bad murder. Um <laughs> She got the gig, didn't she? And she uh, did. does she make you she did. Amber Amber Rudd is uh, not only the um, former wife of A.A. A. Gill, uh, the restaurant critic, and um, didn't he say something really awful? Didn't he go killing? He went killing once and wrote about it and said that That's was right. all fine. Yeah. He likes killing, hunting, I think, rather than killing, but yes. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, Anyway, she is not a climate denier. She thinks that tackling climate change is important. She thinks it's important to get a deal in the international climate talks in Paris. So, you know, could be worse. She likes solar power. Um, She hasn't said anything heinous about wind power. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not that angry. I mean, it's not like... She's going to say, do you know what, Mr. Cameron and Mr. Osborne, I'm personally going to ensure that this government is the very embodiment of swampy. But, you know, it could be worse. It's not Matt Hancock. If it was Matt Hancock, it would have made me very angry indeed. So in some, you lost. Fair enough. I don't mind anymore. I'm always losing. I lose the football. I lose no. everything. Oh dear, did someone lose the football? Did Middlesbrough Somebody score lost lots more goals than Brentford? Sharp! <laughs> What's your prediction? Well, uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we have no idea when we'll be back on the air. So I predict... Yes, we do. We'll be back at the start oh, of okay. July. Uh, I predict that between now and then, uh, a major bit of European environmental legislation yep. that we like yep. is going to be scrapped. Yep. yep. Scrapped? Well, they'll do something... The UK will find a way of of, of saying, okay, they, it won't be scrapped. They will say they're going to scrap it as part of the renegotiation. So between now and the start of July 2015, you reckon that the UK is going to point to a bit of existing European legislation and say they want yeah. to get rid of it. Like the birds directive right. or the habitats directive. Something really important <sighs> that they think is bad for business. They're going to say, scrap it. <laughs> So that is just about it for Sustainable 18 and for season one. The box set will be in stores by Christmas, I'm sure. Um, we should say a massive, even massiver than usual, thank you to Dickie Moore for his music and his little jingles that we've used throughout this season. And of course to Arabella, the wonderful Fabulous Supreme, who is uh, holed up in Scotland and, and presumably leading the charge to carve off the nation from ours. Uh, who else have we got to thank? Adam, of course, the wonderful thank Adam. You, Adam. Uh, that was genuinely the most informative thing we've had on this podcast. Um, admittedly, not a very high bar, but you smashed it. Yep, and what we would love to hear from you, dear listener, in our break, is get in touch with us. Drop us an email at hello 
at sustainababble.fish or our Facebook page or Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Get in touch and let us know what you think about the show. Be honest, be ruthless, but be kind. Uh, and tell, tell us all the things you do like, you don't like, feature ideas you might have, um, and anything we can bear in mind for the next season. We will be back at the start of July. Uh, when everything will be better, the planet will be fixed, and there won't be a need for this podcast at all. <laughs> Very good. Have a lovely break, and we will see you on the other side. Bye-bye. Bye. What about sunshine? What about rain? What about all the things that just said we were to gain?